before I jump into the scripture this morning, I just want to give testimony to the Holy Ghost train ride once more. <laughs> the Holy Ghost train ride can be um, defined by Romans 12.1. I beseech you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. When we offer our bodies, our lives, and give control to the Lord, anytime, anywhere, Lord, as I like to say, buckle up, because you never know what God's going to do. And he surprises you at every turn, and it is great. And not always is it exhilarating, sometimes it's terrifying, sometimes it's very, very hard, and other times it's just fun. So... A few weeks ago, a random email came in to the church office saying, hey, IBC, would there be a pastor available to officiate a wedding for us? We're coming from Illinois and would like to get married out there, and so would there be a pastor available? So Corey and I looked at that, and actually Corey and I didn't talk much about it. It's like, this is not going to happen. We've got a lot going on. I looked at that email, I thought, Lord, nah, I don't think so. But I couldn't tell Gina, send it back, nah, we don't. And so I thought, Lord, is this an opportunity? What is this? I'm going to give it till tomorrow. Of course, they need an answer because they were getting married July 16th. It was just a couple weeks away. And that included premarital counseling along with that. And so... They needed an answer. I thought, I'm going to wait overnight. I'm going to pray about it, see what the Lord impresses upon me. The next day, thought about it, prayed about it. The answer was, call them up. Call them up. Hear them out. What's their story? So I called him up. His name is Bailey. Hey, Bailey. Yeah, so we entered a conversation uh, are you guys Christ followers? Absolutely. We love Jesus. This, that, and the other thing. We are actually going to be eloping with the complete blessing of our parents and our pastor who's not able to go with us. It'll just be us and a photographer couple from out here in PA and whoever marries us. And I find out she is an ICU nurse. He works in the same hospital. He studied to be a nurse as well. And when he, finish, when, they, when he finishes his studies, they would like to go serve on the mercy ships. At which point, slam dunk, baby. <laughs> as Bailey testified, he says, we want to give our lives to the Lord. I said, we're in. Let's do this. So yesterday at Obstruction Point, I've never driven out to Obstruction Point before. I've heard, don't do it, it's terrifying and all this. They just said, meet us up at the ridge. There were three weddings at the ridge, by the way, yesterday. So I found them and the photographer. I said, okay, where are we going? Obstruction Point. I said, it's a good day to die. Shall we go now? So we went out, and, um, and we did it. It was beautiful. In the middle of the ceremony, across, right across the road from where we were, was a marmot colony, and a marmot started whistling in the middle. It was a, a beautiful moment that we had out there. So the last, on Wednesday, this last Wednesday, we finished up the counseling that we were doing, and they said, hey... We would love to be able to come to your church on Sunday. I said, that would be great. So, IBC family, I would like to present to you the newlyweds, Mr. and Mrs. Bailey and Natalie Boswell. Would you two please stand up? Stand up. Come on, stand up. Stand up. Right there. Right there. What a privilege we have for you guys to worship with us on your first Sunday as a married couple. Welcome, you guys. We love that you are here. These two love Jesus, 
And uh, so it's just, I love that. This is the Holy Ghost train ride stuff. The connection that we have had, and I've been blessed by them. And so here they are worshiping together with us today. It's great. This is our God. (laughs) Right on. Psalm 5 is a prayer. And I love, Jeff, the way you led us through Psalm 5 today. The way we sang it, the way you read it for us. It is a psalm, and and, uh, it is a prayer And at the beginning, when we began the series on Psalms, Pastor Corey, when he kind of laid out the framework of Psalms, talked about how many times, especially in lament, in this case, in prayer, we are given a script for how we too can pray. And that's exactly what this is. David, the psalmist, is praying out to the Lord for deliverance for these people that are persecuting him constantly and he describes what they are like. And he's saying, Lord, please help my way to be righteous. I want to do the right thing before you. So every morning I'm gonna come to you and I'm gonna lay out my prayer before you every morning. It repeats morning twice to say at the beginning of every day, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm committing this to you, Lord, as I seek you with everything that I have got. I'm gonna lay out my prayer before you. I'm gonna make a sacrifice to you, Lord. And I'm gonna wait for an answer. I'm going to wait for an answer, Lord, because I know you will answer. You will deliver. And I love that. And it speaks to a relationship. The way David boldly says, and I'm going to wait for an answer because I know you're going to answer, speaks to a relationship. As we consider this psalm, I'm not going to go verse by verse down through and exegete the psalm in that sense. Instead, what I want to do is take a step back on this psalm and go, what do we learn about God? As David is praying to his personal God, we learn some theology about God himself. So that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look, look at three attributes of who God is. The first one is that God is personal. And what a powerful truth to take away today that God Almighty is a personal God. That he makes himself available to each of us personally. Not a distant concept, but a personal God who knows you. He not only knows who you are, he knows you. He cares about you. Sometimes it's hard for us to grasp because it seems he's not concrete. We can't touch him. We don't see him. And so it becomes difficult for us who are finite beings. But that's why we study and that's why we talk and that's why we pray and dig in. That his spirit might saturate us with his truth, with the truth of who he is, that he is a personal God. He is also a holy God. There are books written on holy God, but that's going to be point number two. (laughs) And then point number three is that he is a loving God, and there are books written on that as well. And we will take that away from, from this time this morning. And I pray that you are going to be, as I have been, encouraged to drop everything, to put everything aside and just seek him, dwell in him, abide in him. And it changes everything. God is personal. David says over and over, my, my God, my Lord, my King, over and over again. Probably you have experienced this or you've seen this happen when you've got uh, some people that are talking, their kids talking, and maybe there are two siblings involved in the conversation. There's somebody from outside the family. Sibling A is telling a story, and sibling A goes, yeah, and this one happened, and my dad. The other sibling goes, hey, wait a minute. It's my dad too. You know what I'm talking about? Over and over again. To this day, this can happen. To this day, by meaning, when you get this old, it can still happen. Wait, that's my mom you're talking about. 
Don't be acting like that mom is only your mom. That's my mom. It's a powerful thing, this thing of my mom, my dad. It's personal. When our parent does something we're proud of, that's that's my dad. That's my mom who did that. We move up closer to our parent and go, "That's that's my mom. We take ownership, pride in this personal connection that we have with a parent or with whoever it may be. That's what David is doing. He's not saying, no, not yours. He's just saying, God is my God. Personal. God is personal to me. In fact, in the first eight verses... David uses the first-person pronouns, I, me, and my, 13 times in the first eight verses. 13 times. Boy, that is a stress on God being a personal God. He's not doing it in an egocentrical way like or a selfish way, chest-beating Nothing to do with that. He is just personal for him. It reveals a close relationship that David has with God. It also reveals God's personal interest in people who seek him. In 1 Samuel 13, 14, that's where we get that famous saying about David, that David was a man after God's own heart. David was a man after God's own heart. That That phrase, that statement has a two-way implication. He's a man after God's own heart. In other words, he counted God as his God. It's the way David saw God, but it also is how God saw David. He was a man after God's own heart. God is the one who said this. He's a man after my own heart. A personal personal, intimate relationship with God. That is God's heart for you. That you would be a man, a woman, a child, a boy, a girl, after God's own heart. One who seeks God with everything that you have got. David made mistakes, we all know this. So David was not judged according to the outcome of his life. He was not judged according to being perfect or not. He was judged according to his heart, that he had a heart that sought God. So there is a model for us. There is a precedent for us. If you desire to be called somebody after God's own heart, a man, a woman, and so forth after God's own heart, what it means is that you are seeking him with everything you've got. David says, my Lord. Lord is, in this case, the word Jehovah. It was the Jewish national name of God. He was recognizing who God is. Even though he was personal, he was Jehovah God. My king, he says, my king. This is the earthly king David saying to the Lord of lords, the king of kings, you are my king. Isn't there a humility in that? There's a humility there where the king, he is on top of the world. He is the most powerful man on the planet at this time. And yet he humbles himself and says, God, you are my king. I submit myself. I bow down before you, my God, my king. There is a submission and there is a huge humility there. There's our model. As we walk through our day, to be able to say, my king, submit, humble ourselves before God himself. My God, Elohim, the supreme God of all gods, the one true God. So David, in his intimate prayer, 
of reaching out and crying out to personal, holy God, we see how personal he is, but we also see how much he understands who God is. There is not an informality to the point of disrespect. He is giving utmost respect to who God is as he calls out personally to God. Groaning in verse 1. Groaning means meditation, musing, complaint. He pours out out my soul, my heart to you, O God. He lets it all out to God. It really is the highest level of trust that we can have because God can be trusted with our innermost thoughts and feelings. He knows them anyways. <laughs> and sometimes we're going, Lord, I don't want to admit that out loud to you. I know, you already know. But there is something about being able in all honesty and transparency before God to say, Lord, I struggle with this. I got this going on, Lord. I need you here in my life or whatever it is that it may be. This is a part of God being a personal God. My cry in verse 2, you will hear my cry. Emotion, it's an urgency, it's a fervency, it's a cry for help. In James 5, 6, we read, and I like the, the King James Version on this, since we sang the King James Version of Psalm 5 today, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Fervent. That's what we're saying David do here. He's offering up a fervent prayer. It is a cry for help. He's assuming the posture of need, of desperate need, of humility before Almighty God. That is all part of God being a personal God. Morning, as I said earlier, he's repeat, he repeats twice. It's a daily thing. It's the first act of the day. The day begins with aligning oneself with God. I'm going to start my day crying out to God. Whatever it is, maybe I don't have a cry to God today other than, Lord, I need you today. Show me what you have for me today. Help me to be obedient to you today. You are pouring out first thing every day and beginning your day with prayer with God and talking with God. But what it helps David, I love what David says, and I'm going to watch. And I'm going to be alert, Lord. I'm going to watch how you do this. Do we pray in the morning, Lord, here I am, use me any way you will, and then we forget about that the rest of the day? There is an intentionality as we, as we claim God as our personal God that we are going to walk with God through the day, and then we're going to watch him as we've cried out to him in the morning, Lord, use me to encourage somebody today, and then I'm going to watch for those opportunities as they come across my path this day. And then watch God do it. I'll tell you a quick story. We were on the mission field teaching in an MK school for missionary kids. Um, and it was the start of a brand new year. I was uh, teaching seventh and eighth graders. And I had this young fella who was uh, new to my classroom, was a seventh grader, I had a seventh and eighth in the classroom. And so he was the new guy um, and so forth. And, but he thought he could run the classroom right away. He felt like he needed to rule that thing. And um, I just found myself constantly saying, no, no, Reuben, Reuben, no, as he was trying to dominate. And it was wearing me down. In my spirit, it was wearing me down. And one day at lunch, I went home because we were on a campus so I could just walk over back to our house to have lunch with Sue and Christy. And my prayer at lunch was, Lord, please give me something positive to say to Reuben. Right now, everything is negative. Please, one little thing where I can just compliment him or I can say something positive to him because I don't like the way this is going. It's just all negative. And it's not uplifting, it's not encouraging to anybody, and so forth. So I went back to class that afternoon. We were in class for 15 minutes. The kids were working on their spelling assignment. He came, comes walking up to my desk and says, hey, Mr. Lotz, look what I did. And he had done some st- whatever is part of the assignment. 
and he was pleased with what he had done. I said, Reuben, well done, high five. That is great, buddy, keep it up. As I said that, I had goosebumps down my body, up and down, blown away because God did it. It turned everything around. The whole relationship with this young kid turned around and we're close friends to this day, many years later as a family. Expectant that God is going to answer your prayer. He doesn't always do it the way we think he will do it. But to be engaged in the request that we make to him, the voice of our cry, the content of what we bring to him, do we just give it to him, say, Lord, you got that? I'm on my merry way. Rather than being engaged because we never know how God, his ways are higher than ours. We don't know how he's going to answer. And as we well know, many times the answer is actually he's going to use us to, to be a part of the answer and the solution. That's our great God who will use us in our imperfections to draw people to himself, to encourage others, to be a part of his great mission. I love that. That is the Holy Ghost train ride. It really is. And a lot of times it's not a great ending. Sometimes it isn't. But God's ways are higher than ours. He knows what he is doing. And we pray to a certain way. But in the end, as Jesus did, we say, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. Use me any way you will in this situation. I'm available to you. He goes on to say, I will enter your house. I will enter your house. God, I'm going to enter your house. I'm going to come near you. I'm going to come close. I am going to approach you. That is a significant thing. David, we had the tabernacle back then. We don't have the tabernacle. Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. What this all means is we can approach God anytime, anywhere. We have a great high priest that made that possible when Jesus died for us. We now can enter the throne room of grace anytime we want. So to proclaim, Lord, I'm coming to you. I want to be near you. I want to draw into your presence because I want to talk to you. And I want to hear from you. Psalm 145, 18, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. The Lord is near to him who call on him. The Lord responds when we say, Lord, I'm coming near you. I want to be near you, Lord, and he draws near to us. James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Hebrews 4, 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Hebrews eleven six. for it is without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Draw near means close in proximity. It is to join one thing to another. So it is, as, as we draw near to God, it really there's an emotional piece to this. There's a theological piece to this. That Lord, I, you are my personal God and I'm drawing near you, O oh Lord. I want to be in the throne room right there appealing to you, talking to you, hearing you. This is the relationship of the most intimate that a person has with our Heavenly Father. That's what David is showing us. The drawing near has an implication of a caring, of a focus, of attention, of attentiveness, of a protection, and certainly of intimacy. Clearly, this is what God desires of us, of you, of me, is to draw near to him in an intimate relationship with him. He is a personal God. His desire is to be your personal God. Think about that. You can put your name in there. Sometimes you have to say it out loud. Tom, God wants to be your personal God. You put your name in there. You may have to say it over and over again for that concept to sink in. Because as I said earlier, so many times our concept of God is a distant deity, a distant person, a distant God, but he is not. 
He is not a distant concept. He wants to be your personal God. At the same time, he is holy. God is holy. And boy, there are implications to that. What does holiness mean? It is sacred. It is holy. It is saint, set apart, absolute, exalted, untouched by sin, perfect. Sin cannot be near. Absolute moral purity. He is sovereign God, creator of the universe. This is what holiness means. It's an interesting picture we have in Revelation chapter 1 where we have John, who was the disciple. He was the beloved disciple of Jesus. There's a picture in the New Testament when they're hanging out one time, and you know that scene where John, they're reclining, and John has his head on Jesus' chest, and they're just hanging out. It's a picture of intimacy. And even there are the phrases in there, the disciple who Jesus loved. We see that over and over. They're They're tight. They're, they're, they're close friends. And yet in Revelation, here is that same John in a vision. He's drawn into heaven, and Jesus comes in to where he is. This is the same Jesus that he was so close with. This is John 1.12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven gold lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man. He couldn't even describe exactly what he looked like, but he looked like the son of man, looked like a person, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. Again, no words, as close as he could come were these. His eyes were like a flame of fire. This is Jesus. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. His voice was like the roar of many. And you know what that's like. You, when you go hiking out there and there's a roaring river, you have to yell to be heard. This is the voice of Jesus. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp, two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. This is our personal God. Dude, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. In abject fear and terror, this disciple who was so loved by Jesus, is completely freaked out. He almost faints. He's down on the ground as though dead because he's completely terrified of Jesus. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. He is a holy God. Our personal God is a holy God. To be seen as with utmost reverence and all power. We have the other scene over in Isaiah, where the prophet Isaiah also encounters him. (laughs) And he goes, describes him. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with the two he covered his feet, with the two he flew. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. This is most holy God. As David is crying out to his personal God, he is also understanding the holiness of God. So we contrast holy God in this, both these scenes in Isaiah and Revelation where David is calling out to his personal holy God. And now he describes those that are persecuting him. In verse 4, he says, For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Feel the contrast between what David is saying about these people versus a holy God. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors bloodthirsty and deceitful man. 
Then down to verse 9, for there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. May these things not be true of me or you. That we never walk away from God. That we never fall down to such a place where we curse God, where we curse those who love God, and so forth. That's not the point of what David is saying. The point is this, though. Those people that I am talking about that are persecuting David, they are totally contrary to who God is and what God is about. And he's calling them out. And he's going, God, these people hate you. They hate anybody who follows you. Look at who they are. They're deceitful, malicious, etc., and so forth and so on. He knows, David does, that God can have nothing to do with sin because he is holy. So what David is doing is calling for God's justice. Because in God's holiness, he is a just God. We know that he says, that God tells us, don't worry about it, I will take care of it. David's appeal is not vindictive. He's not saying, Lord, they're ticking me off, they're wrong, they don't like you, they hate you, they hate me, please bring a bolt of lightning down upon them. (laughs) And we won't have to deal with them anymore. Make them pay for what they're doing. That is not his prayer. That is not his prayer. His prayer is, Lord, you are a just and holy God. You can have nothing to do with that. I'm going to put them into your hands so that I might be delivered from the sin and from the effects that I'm feeling because of them. sacrifice. The psalmist says he's going to give a sacrifice. What do we do with that? Do we go give a sacrifice in the morning? Obviously, we do not. But he says, I will prepare a sacrifice in the morning. What do we know about sacrifice as it applies to us today? Even as it applied back in the day, we can read in 1 Samuel 15, Samuel said this, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. There is something even more important. There is a heart behind the sacrifice. Psalm 51. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God. See, here's what we learn if we're going to model our lives and our prayer life after David. Every morning when we approach God, David said, I'm going to prepare a sacrifice. Here's the sacrifice we can prepare before Almighty God every morning. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. A broken spirit, a contrite spirit says, Lord, I am not worthy. I am sinful. I have this propensity in my flesh to follow myself and not you. That is my leading. Lord, I subject that to you. I give it all to you. I confess that to you. Lord, there's been sin in my life and I confess it to you. I am not worthy. But by the grace of God and what Jesus has done for me, I am worthy only under his worthiness. I have nothing. There is a humility and a desperate dependence upon who God is. That is a contrite heart. That is a broken spirit before, oh God. And that is a sacrifice that we bring to him. Romans 12, 1, we've already quoted it. I beseech you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, not a dead one, a living one giving all control. I lay lay myself out before you, Lord. Here I am. Anytime, anywhere, I'm giving you control of my life. Now, I wish, I really wish that I could just turn the switch on and go control given. And it's now game over. I could just relax 
And God, just you direct me and tell me what to say, where to go. But why am I always getting myself in trouble? <laughs> because I, that switch is a process. It's not a switch. It's a process called sanctification. We've talked about that. But what it does for us, it makes us dependent. We can never relax. The minute we relax, we shift into the flesh. It's a dangerous thing to say, I just want to let down. And I'll say it, I'll, I'll tell you, life can be intense with people, and I want to go home, and I want to just let down. And I do. But it's not always a good thing. If I let down in my spirit, if I let down in my flesh, I shift into that place, and it's not a healthy place to be. This is what offering our bodies as a living sacrifice is, consistently living there, living in that place. And it takes initiative, it takes aggressiveness, to get after it and stay in and stay uh, intentional in your walk with Jesus. Lord, I'm yours. Lord, I'm yours. I want to let down. I want to relax. I want to rest. Good. But keep your focus on Jesus when you're doing that. Because if you don't, you put yourself at risk for allowing yourself to allow you to go other places that are not healthy, perhaps. Hebrews 13, through him then let us continually offer up sacrifices of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. This is a sacrifice that we can make, a sacrifice of praise. What is a sacrifice of praise? Well, the rest of that statement said, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Our lips acknowledging his name. Making Jesus famous, talking about God to others, out of what comes, the things that come out of our mouth, giving God praise is a sacrifice of praise. Talking about how great God is, is a sacrifice of praise. It's the same thing as blessing the Lord. Time and again we read, bless the Lord, O my soul. I bless the Lord. What does it mean when we bless the Lord? Well, the word bless means to enrich in some way. To enrich in some ways. Could be materially, could be all kinds of different ways. How in the world can you, can I, enrich God? He owns everything already. It's all his. How can I enrich him in any way? In offering praise... In offering praise, one enriches the reputation of the Lord in the mind of other people, fellow believers, non-believers, and so forth. It's making his name famous. It is praising the Lord. Blessing the Lord or praising the Lord is a gift that we give to God. So it's completely appropriate for us to do so. That is blessing the Lord, and he is pleased with that. It is standing in awe of God. It is marveling at who he is. It is consistently being brought to our knees by the majesty of who God is. It is living in a state of constant amazement. Wonder, gratitude, and delight in God. This is the sacrifice that we bring. The thing is, it's important to do this in the morning, but God has made a way for us to do this all day long, all day long to live in a state of constant amazement and praise of who God is. We can bring that sacrifice always. God is personal and he is holy and he takes great delight when we bless him. When we praise him and we, we, when we bring sacrifice of praise. That's what we see David doing in this psalm. Number three, God is loving. He's personal, he is holy, and he is loving. And we can talk all day about our loving God. There are so many ways he demonstrates his love for us. In verse 7 we read, David saying, But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. 
It's an interesting irony. It's a sweet little irony. Through the abundance of your love, I will enter your house. It is only because of your love I will be able to do this. In other words, apart from God's love, we can't do that. He wouldn't be able to do that. God is the one who's provided a way to enter his presence. We couldn't do it apart from him. We would never be able to enter his presence apart from him and what he has done for us. 1 John 4.19 says that we love because he first loved us. What irony there is in that. He has called us to love him, but he knows we can't love him apart from him allowing and empowering us to love him. That demonstrates his love. It's ridiculous. It is a a magnificent reality of, of God's love to us is what that is. It is a spectacular way of showing his love. Verse 8, the Lord leads us in righteousness. Another way he pours out his love on us. He leads us in righteousness. He shows us his way to live. God empowers us by his spirit to a life that is pleasing to him. It would be kind of preposterous if you were sitting on an excavator. In fact, my buddy Rob Hooker was at my house with his excavator one day doing some stuff outside my house there. And there was a big old rock that had been on the side of our house. So we'd always go, what do we do with that thing? And so we were arranging some landscaping stuff. Hey, Rob, can you hold that? Can you grab that rock with that machine of yours and bring that right over here? He said, no, do it yourself. You just do it. He knew I couldn't lift it. I'm making up this part, but it's as if God never says to do something. He commands us to do something, to love him, to live a righteous life, to be holy, when he knows we can't do it. It's impossible. We cannot do it. We can't love him. We can't even have come to a, an understanding of salvation apart from God giving us that understanding of our need for Jesus. So when he says to be holy, to live a righteous life, he knows the only way that that's going to be possible is if he gives us the power to do so by his spirit. Verses 11 and 12 say this. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. This is the goodness of God. This is basking, my brothers and sisters. This is basking in God's love, in the goodness of who he is. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. All these wonderful things, refuge, rejoice, protection, exulting in God, for you bless the righteous. Again, bless means to enrich in some way. It might be physically, materially, spiritually. There's even the noun blessing that can be just a gift. Man, I was blessed by that. That means you were enriched by that. Do you say something, you were a real blessing to me that day? It means you enriched my life in some way. Might have been a word of encouragement. It might have been a gift. Who knows what it was, a hug, whatever it may have been. But it was something that enriched your life a little bit more. That is a blessing. So the Lord blesses the righteous. The righteous are those who are pursuing God. Though The contrite heart. Those who understand they need Jesus. They got nothing. We've got nothing. We've earned nothing. That's the righteous seeking God, and God blesses the righteous. The enrichment that comes from the Lord often included the divine enablement to achieve the blessing. I'm going to empower you to be able to do this, and you'll be blessed by what you do. The blessing from the Lord sometimes included, in the Old Testament especially, children, having children, a victory of some sort, fruitful crops, rain came, privileges of the priesthood, peace, and so forth, many other examples of God's blessing. He also, God did, blessed the Sabbath, which meant he enriched that day as a special time. 
Being blessed by God and being able to bless God really are the results of God's goodness and his love. Covered with favor, it says, that word favor, pleasure, delight, goodwill, acceptance. He covers us with those things. See, God is eager to bless. Listen to these, ver- these, these uh, verses. Deuteronomy, for the Lord will again take delight in prospering you. The Lord will again take delight in prospering you. He wants you to prosper. He wants you to be happy in him. Exodus 34, the Lord passed before him. This is Moses on Mount Sinai. The Lord passed before him, Moses, and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands of generations. Deuteronomy 7, know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. And then Jeremiah says this, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. In these things I delight. The Lord takes great delight in lavishing his love upon you. That's our loving God. Rather than that picture of an angry God, he, does, he is a God of justice. We've established that. But that justice and his wrath comes on against those who have rebelled. He cares about your heart pursuing him. Oh, how he loves those who seek him. Worship team, you can come on up. How God loves to love the one who fears him. God loves that. This is what he is about. He is all about his redemption, of bringing the lost, the, 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 the broken relationship, those been separated by sin, back to himself to have that he might be able to lavish them with his love and, and be in this relationship that is as intimate as we see David having in this psalm. But he is a holy God. He demands all reverence. This week I had a phone call. I called a business in Squim. I can't remember which business and why right now. But this lady answered and and, uh, was taking care of business, and she needed my email address. My email address at the end has ibcofpa.org. She goes, oh, are you a pastor? (laughs) I started laughing. Like, you could pick that out from that. Yes, I am a pastor. She goes, oh, I want to be a pastor. I go, why? Because people need to know the truth of who God is. People need to be told, and we don't hear it enough. You'll hear a lot about God is love and this and flowery and fluffy and wonderful and mercy and all, but where's the fire and brimstone? (laughs) That's the justice of God she was talking about. The justice of God, the holiness of God. We need that. I appreciate what she had to say. She's actually checking out DCC today. She says, I'll tell him your name. I go, no, you'll get eye rolls if you say my name. Don't do that. (laughs) His justice demands a penalty for sin. The wages of sin is death, we read in Romans. So two of God's attributes seemingly come in conflict, his love and his justice, his holiness. They come into conflict, don't they, it seems. How can that be reconciled? He loves. His justice demands a penalty for our sin. Only his love and his justice coming together could find the answer to our sin problem. He brought the two together, one to fulfill the other. Our separation from him because of our sin has been a problem, but he dealt with it. He provided the answer. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. He sent his own son. For God so loved the world 
And he knew that the world had a problem, had a sin issue, had a separation issue. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. He paid our sin debt. Justice was complete. When Jesus on the cross at the end said, to tell us die, it is finished, it's accomplished, I did it. All of that came together. Only God could have come up with that. Followers of Jesus, can't you just never stop marveling at what God has done? We all know what sinners we are. We all know what really no hope we have or had to be in a right relationship with God, to be at peace with God, completely impossible because of our sin. And yet God said, I got away. I'm going to give my own son. He is going to die in your place and he will pay the penalty and my justice will be served. And as Pastor Corey preached a few years ago on Good Friday, I'll never forget that, my friend. He drank of the the wrath of God, Jesus did, of the Father. That was the justice of a holy God being played out. So nobody was off the hook. Nobody's off the hook. We, the gift of, of God is free, but it costs his son's life. God's son, the son of God, who became man while retaining his divinity. He lived a perfect life. There was no sin in him. He became the perfect sacrifice. When we go into communion and we partake of communion, which we're going to do here in a moment, This is why we do it. Because he said, never forget what I have done for you. I, Jesus, satisfied the wrath of God, the justice of a holy God. I did that for you. Never, ever forget. And he gave us the bread, and he gave us the cup, and he said, eat and drink. Whenever you're together, in my name, do this, so that you will never forget and you proclaim me. 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. He laid down his life for the unrighteous, you and me. God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah.